So this is our horse barn where we keep our tack and where we tack up our horses. Mark Harvey is a cattle rancher on the western slope of Colorado. We use our horses um, to work the cattle. You can't do it any other way. It's such rough terrain. We move the cattle around with our horses. We visited Mark on his 2,000-acre family ranch in the Roaring Fork Valley this summer. The landscape was covered in yellow and pink wildflowers, and the trees and lush grasses were bright green against the blue sky. This is a high country ranch. and has all the elements of the high country. Um, it's got a lot of aspen trees, which only grow at a very precise elevation. We have scrub oak. We have quite a bit of native grass and also some grass that isn't native. We have um, a lot of conifers, blue spruce and, and pine trees, willow trees. So it's a huge mix of, of what a healthy plant community should look like. The ranch is ecologically diverse, with everything you'd expect on a western landscape. Mark likes it that way. One of the great beauties of Colorado and the entire Rocky Mountain West is, is wild quality. The wild animals, how unkempt all the plant communities are, that they're still growing in their natural element. It's kind of what keeps me sane. You know, if I was stove up in some city, I'd probably have a hard time with my sanity. But there's something missing from this landscape. The last gray wolf was shot in Colorado in 1945. Wolves were hunted down across the American West, often with the support and even compensation from the United States government. I think one of the reasons the wolf is so contentious is because it's dramatic. Our culture and every European culture for thousands of years, it's the big bad wolf. You know, it's a big animal, it has teeth, they're very smart, and they're good predators. They were eradicated all over the entire country, mostly because stockmen, sheep growers and cattle growers, um, considered them a threat to their livelihood. There's been a few individuals that have crept down from Wyoming, but in terms of viable populations, we haven't seen wolves for, what is that, 80 or 90 years. In almost a century without wolves, Colorado's landscape has changed. Wolves are an apex predator, and when they're removed from an ecosystem, the impacts ripple through the food web. This is called trophic cascades. Which basically means if you take out an apex predator, the prey below them, their populations will explode, or they'll take on behaviors they didn't have with the apex predator. Without their main predator, elk and deer populations have expanded exponentially. Their grazing habits kill vegetation in delicate riparian areas along riverbeds. That vegetation is essential. It offers shade to rivers, keeping temperatures cool for fish. It also serves as food for animals like beavers, who then go on to create beaver ponds for aquatic plants and animals to thrive. And this goes on and on in every direction of the food web until the ecosystem is woefully out of balance. So in 2020, Proposition 114 was put in front of Colorado voters to reintroduce wolves to the landscape. I've been to some meetings where the wolves are discussed, and there are people in this valley and certainly all over western Colorado who are just vehemently against them. 
Ranchers and stockmen largely opposed the measure, fearing that their herds would be wiped out by this new predator. Mark has different ideas. Apex predators have a lot to do with balancing the ecology. They have a lot to do with culling sick and lame animals. They have a lot to do with where an animal migrates and whether it migrates in the right places. I think we're in the midst of the sixth grade extinction, if you look at the biological data. You know, the, the number of animals becoming extinct is just horrendous. It's happening very fast. And so I think anything we can do to try to keep our biodiversity up and happening is a valiant thing to do. In today's episode, we're taking a look at the effort to reintroduce wolves to Colorado and what it actually looks like for ranchers, tourists, and outdoor enthusiasts to share land with these apex predators. Let's take it outside. In the 2020 election in Colorado, there was one question more hotly contested than any other. Should the State Parks and Wildlife Commission create a plan to reintroduce wolves by the end of 2023? Mark voted yes. I am very much a minority in my business, you know, in the cattle industry. Um, I'm very much a minority, but um, I'm not just coming about this opinion lackadaisically. I've, I've studied it. Mark looked at the three other states that have successfully reintroduced wolves to the landscape and decided that the benefits outweigh any perceived risks to his livelihood as a rancher. If I was living in Colorado in the 1800s, out in the middle of nowhere, and all I had was a rifle and nothing else, and there were no highways and no airplanes and no pavement, you know, I'd be scared of wolves too. I'd be scared of grizzly bears. I'd probably want to shoot every single one I could. But this is a new era, and I've looked at the numbers where they've reintroduced wolves in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho. And if you add up the economies of those three states in terms of cattle, it's a $5 billion cattle economy. And wolves killed probably to the tune of 150, 200 cattle in 2015. So they've killed maybe $200,000 of cattle on a $5 billion industry. So I think the fear is outsized relative to the danger of the wolf. The ballot measure passed by a razor-thin margin of 51 to 49 percent. Since then, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission has been working on a reintroduction plan that balances the will of the voters with the worries of the ranchers. Here's what they came up with. Starting in December of 2023, 10 to 15 wolves will be released on public and private lands every year for three years. The goal is a self-sustaining wolf population. Ranchers will be compensated up to $15,000 for animal deaths caused by wolves, and no wolves will be released within 60 miles of the state border. But will this plan work? Mark is optimistic that not only will it work, but also it'll bring more than wolves to the area. The University of Montana did a study of the three states that reintroduced wolves in the 1990s. That's Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. And wolves bring in the neighborhood of $35 million a year just in tourism, wolf tourism. Hundreds of thousands of people go up to those states 
to see wolves. Most of them never see them. But they go up there and they spend $35 million a year in those three states. And I'm sure wolves will bring millions and millions of dollars to the tourism industry in some of these places that could really use it, you know, some of these beat-down towns. But not all wolf advocates are so optimistic. The plan in Colorado also includes provisions to downgrade wolves from endangered to threatened species once the wolf population reaches 50. And then they are completely removed from the state's endangered species list once the population reaches 150. This opens the door to lethal management of wolves in the future. And some conservationists feel like it's setting wolves up to fail. So what about the states where wolf reintroduction has been successful? I wanted to see for myself what a sustainable wolf population can look like. Okay, so we are in the Lamar Valley, in the northern part of Yellowstone National Park, and we are around um, the Slough Creek area. In January of 1995, three packs of Canadian wolves were released into a temporary enclosure inside Yellowstone National Park. Today, Yellowstone is home to over 100 wolves. It's also home to an informal network of wolf watchers Mostly retired folks who love the Yellowstone wolves and delight in sharing their expertise with tourists. We got in um, probably about 6 a.m., woke up and hurried up and got in the park. So we're going to go meet Rick McIntyre. He comes out every day to watch the wolves and talk about the wolves with um, wolf watchers and folks passing through the park. And so we're going to try to find him and see what we're looking at. It doesn't take long before we spot Rick's truck with his wolf license plate and dozens of cars parked on the side of the road. I think I might park here. Rick is a bit of a celebrity in the park. And as we approach the crowd, all peering through binoculars and scopes, we see Rick at the center, making sure everyone gets a turn to view the gray wolf from the Junction Butte pack that has just come into view. Folks, if there's anyone that hasn't seen a wolf, I can help you. Hey, it's going, it's going uphill. You want to look for a gray that's slowly moving uphill. Are you seeing okay, it okay? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone else that needs their scope on it? Rick has been watching wolves in Yellowstone since yeah. they were reintroduced. He considers himself a wolf evangelist, dispelling rumors that wolves are dangerous and regaling tourists with the drama that plays out among wolves on a daily basis. Okay. So a new boyfriend, a potential boyfriend, has come into the area from another pack. He's been trying to gain entry into this pack, and if he succeeds, he will be in a pretty good position because the alpha male, who is getting pretty old, he needs to be replaced, and this young male has come in, and he'll have a whole harem of girlfriends. (laughs) Since the reintroduction in the 90s, wolves have reshaped Yellowstone. Elk populations have been rebalanced, willows and aspen trees have returned to riverbeds, and the ecosystem just became a lot healthier. The park acts as a haven for wolves who roam free at the top of the food chain. However, just outside the park, wolf hunting is legal. In a recent year, 24 of our wolves were killed just outside the park. It was the next year that they dropped that down to a quota of just six. 
The park is surrounded by private ranches and public grazing land. And like Colorado, wolves are contentious creatures among ranchers. So we left the park and headed to the Tom Miner Basin to meet a local rancher. This is the Anderson Ranch. That's the house I grew up in. My parents live there. And then... Malou Anderson Ramirez runs her family's cattle ranch on a beautiful piece of land right outside of Yellowstone. Let's see if we can see our cows. Here we can just walk down here. She and her husband recently moved home to take over operations from her parents. The ranch has seen a lot of changes since her grandfather bought it in the 1950s. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. We come from a family that we were able to to buy a ranch up here in the 50s. So that's really important. And we really uh, have always valued education and we valued an open mind and curiosity. However, he wanted to be a rancher and, and in, the, in the mid 50s. And so he was taught how to be a rancher by all of our dear friends and neighbors that are still our dear friends and neighbors. Um, and that was a conventional system. Conventional ranching is what you might picture as an Old West or cowboy style of ranching. Pastures are overgrazed, pesticides are used to kill weeds, and cows are fed hay in the winter. And so we definitely were raised and grew up in a conventional system of agriculture. However, we always um, we were always sort of a rogue kind of family. Malou's family adapted with the times. And today, the Anderson Ranch wouldn't be considered conventional at all. Malou remembers when things started to change. It probably really shifted uh, when the wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone, so in the mid-90s. We were raising sheep up here at the time, quite a few sheep. And so we were one of the first families uh, around Yellowstone that felt that impact pretty heavily. And so, you know, we lost sheep, quite a few sheep. Um, And and we were able to take a little bit of it and, and not get super angry about the situation. But when our dogs started going... Our guard dogs and our border collie were, was killed by wolves. That's when things really shifted for us. And um, we were so sad and so angry that we, you know, I just remember my family having a lot of conversation around it. And we decided that this was not a place for sheep. And actually, we would rather see uh, wolves and, and bears than, than have to be reactive and frustrated and angry about a situation that was occurring. It was around this time that Malou and her siblings were getting old enough to leave the basin for school. It was education that really pushed this rogue family to shift their practices. A few of us went to holistic range management schools, and that was even before we were talking about regenerative agriculture. And the idea around it was that, you know, if you're, you have resilient ecosystems and large landscapes, then the operations that are working within those same natural models will also be resilient and functional and economically viable, hopefully. Mulu's family decided to adapt their entire operation to work with the ecosystem instead of against it. This led to a healthier ranch overall and less livestock loss from predators. We're ranching next to Yellowstone National Park. As my sister-in-law says it so beautifully, we're raising prey next to Yellowstone National Park. The biggest change was switching to a seasonal grass finishing operation, which basically means cattle no longer live on the ranch in the harsh winters. This helps reduce losses in a few ways, but crucially, it allows them to switch to what's called solstice calving. That's where cattle have their babies in the middle of summer instead of late winter or early spring. 
It's a schedule that more closely aligns with wild grazers in the area, like bison. It used to be that those babies that they would have were the first babies on the landscape. And so what do large carnivores need and do, and how do they eat? And so if we are putting the only babies on the land before any wild babies are are born, we're setting up a situation to, to fail in that piece. This effort to mimic the behavior of bison is just one of the tools the Anderson Ranch uses to reduce conflict with predators. We use a lot of electric fencing to either keep cattle contained or try to keep some predators out. We have a range rider who checks our cattle and keeps them sort of acting like good cattle and smart, confident cattle in predator country. This is Ellery. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Ellery is a range rider for a few ranches in the Tom Miner Basin and plays a key role in limiting conflict between cattle and large predators. Section 12 is cool. Yeah. It's very different than everywhere else. Very berry. Very berry. <laughs> very berry. That's <laughs> what yeah. so I said this morning. I was like, it's bear dance up there. So yeah, no, it's so yeah. pretty up there. Ellery rides on horseback to check on the cattle every day. So I take a morning ride, usually pretty early, so that way I can be out on the landscape at a time when the predators might be out. Um, so that way they kind of know we're hanging around. Um, can also check cattle, um, look for signs of predators, um, and also just being out there looking to see what's going on. This morning, she saw two young bears. I saw them before they saw me, and then I made noise and they, they tootled off, but I'm really excited about seeing bears. Um, it's just really cool to be able to see them out in the wild doing their thing and have cattle nearby and watching them interact without any negative conflict. So I'm excited about it. (laughs) Ellery is also responsible for quickly finding carcasses of cattle to determine if they were killed by a wolf or other large predator. That way, the ranch can be compensated from state funding for their loss. They haven't found any carcasses so far this year. We've had one cow that had a run-in, <laughs> probably, but she's, she's healing, and, and so far so good. A lot of these changes have also been adopted by Malou's neighbors and have led to curiosity and interest around other regenerative agriculture practices. So a lot of this, it seems like just in talking to you, Malou, is, you know, just being smart and thinking about, okay, we have some understanding of you know, apex predators, how they're, how they operate, the schedule in which they operate, and let's use the tools that we have available to, you know, deter that. A really good producer also knows some stuff about wildlife and is, and wants, and is curious about it, wants to learn. As for the reintroduction of wolves in Colorado, Malou has some advice for ranchers. We're not going to get anywhere with fear. I think Colorado's doing a lot of great things by holding a lot of meetings and educational forums with other ranchers who have been with carnivores for a while so that they can get ahead of the game and be preventative. If you're preventative and you have different tools in your tool shed for different seasons, different reasons, then you're going to be okay. And one of those important things is, you know, maybe consider writing in a few losses every year into your budget beforehand so that then when you do have a loss, if you don't have any losses, great. If you do have a loss or two, you're prepared. It remains to be seen how wolf reintroduction will go in Colorado. Even Malou is skeptical of the uphill battle wolves will face in an environment that is so hostile to them. 
they are surrounded on all sides by difficult policy and people. And so while I want them to, to survive, I just worry that there's going to be a lot of killing that happens in order for them to survive. I just really think we got to be super thoughtful and very, very slow at those kind of things. And it sounds to me like Colorado is being a real, you know, this has been a slow process and that's and a very thoughtful process. So at least those steps are being taken. As for Mark, he's not too worried about the threat to his ranch. In fact, he's excited to live somewhere a bit more wild. There's kind of a movement to rewild parts of the West, you know, to bring back the buffalo in greater numbers, to bring back the wolf, to, um, you know, try to get some of the wildness back. Mark likes to call wolves ecological engineers. Their presence on landscapes across the West is key to solving the mass extinction and biodiversity crisis. And it's not just wolves. Activists and organizers across the country are working to protect and restore keystone species like beavers, salmon, black bears, and so many others. Because healthy biodiversity and protected lands for that biodiversity to thrive are some of the best tools in our fight for a healthy and livable planet. This episode was produced by Tina Mullen, edited by Isaac Kestenbaum of Future Projects, and hosted by me, Chris Hill. Our Colorado field producer was Rachel London. Ian Berkey is our executive producer. Mixing and sound design by Nick Nevis. Special thanks to Delia Malone, Ronan Donovan, Bonnie Rice, the Yellowstone Wolf Project, and all the wolf watchers of Yellowstone. Reintroducing wolves in Colorado is just the first step. Advocate for strong protections for Colorado's future gray wolves at the link in our show notes.